Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to mystory@toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, would you turn with me to Acts chapter 3? Acts chapter 3, we have been in a, a series where we're working our way through the book of Acts. And uh, so we're going to get uh, rolling. We've spent a lot of time in Acts chapter 2. Jump into Acts chapter 3 today. And I want to look at what is, for many of us, maybe a familiar story. I hope for all of us, something that we'll see new today. And what I'd love to do is just take these about 10 verses, Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. We're just going to work our way through there, and I want to identify some things as we go along. So let's just start here. Acts chapter 3, beginning with verse 1, says this. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. So a few things that are really important there. One, Peter and John. Do you remember those guys from earlier in the book? They were Jesus' disciples. Peter was the one that preached the, the famous sermon in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. Two of the key leaders in the church. And it says that they're in Jerusalem and they're on their way up to the temple at the time of prayer. As, as you read, you find out this was kind of their practice. This was what they did. There were three times a day when there were times of prayers at the temple, early in the morning, kind of right before sundown, and then there was this one at 3 o'clock, and they would go, people would come, and there would be sacrifices, offerings that were made. It was a significant time. And one of the things that I think is really important here is that you see that the disciples had kind of this routine in their spiritual life. They thought it was important that they had different times when they came and were before God, these certain times of prayer. And you'll see that prayer, as we go through the book of Acts, plays a really significant role that oftentimes before God does something in a powerful way, you'll see prayer is somehow involved with these things. And they would consistently go and pray. It was a part of their practice, which leads us to something here that I think is really important. That consistent practice leads to divine experience. If you want to experience God's presence, if if you want to know him more, I, I hear this from people all the time. Well, I want to have greater opportunity to be used by him or to know his will or to hear his voice or or to see the supernatural in my life. If you want that to happen, you have to spend time with him. You have to be in a place where you can hear his voice, where you pray, where you spend time in his word. That consistent practice will lead to divine experience. The divine experience that we're about to see in Acts chapter 3 wouldn't have happened if Peter and John hadn't been in a place where they could hear from God, where they were moving in their lives toward God. And this is really important. What you do regularly impacts you greatly. Have you known this to be true? What you do regularly will impact you greatly. It's just like anything else. If you want to learn how to draw or play an instrument or get better at a sport, you put time into that, and that creates a blessing. It creates something better in your life. And the same thing is true spiritually. So it's important that we keep an awareness in our lives of God's presence, that we stay in some form of conversation with him, because what we do regularly will impact your life greatly. Watch what I mean. Verse two. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. Now, Luke packs a lot of little details in here that make a big difference in this story as we talk about this man. So let's start with a couple of things. It says that there was a man who was being carried into the temple courts who was lame from birth. So that means that his legs had never worked, right? That from the time he was born, 
He'd never walked. He'd, he'd never been able to use his legs. From the very beginning, he had this disability, this infirmity, which not only states a little bit about this man and maybe his desperate situation, but especially for people in the first century, their thought would have been, this dude's hopeless. He's hard to heal. You can't help him. He's been like this from the very beginning. In fact, some people might have even thought that somewhere there was some kind of sin or some kind of problem in his family. That's why he's like that. Something must have happened that puts him in that place. So he has a real stigma on him as someone who was, who was hopeless and helpless. And it said that they would put him next to this place in the temple court that was called the gate called beautiful. Now, sometimes when you're reading the Bible, you'll see where it says that people would go up to the temple. And in part, they say that because geographically, if you were in Jerusalem, you would make your way up to the temple mount. And as you did kind of go to that elevated place, you would pass through a series of gates. There would be these different gates that you would go through. And they were there for decoration. Some of them were really ornate. In fact, this one was, was known as the beautiful gate. But these gates would also kind of be checkpoints. They would be places that would separate one part of the temple from another. And as you would move through these different gates, there were places where some people would have to stop and other people could go through. But there was one gate where if you were a Gentile, you couldn't go past that gate. Only a Jewish person could go past that gate. And then there was another gate that if you were a woman, you couldn't go past that gate. Jewish men could go past that gate to get closer to God, but Jewish women couldn't. Now, scholars debate about exactly which gate this might have been, but we know that this was a place that was beautiful because it was called that. We know that it was a place that served as a bit of a checkpoint, and we know that it was a place that certain people could not go past it to get closer to God. We also know this, that this was a very strategic place for a beggar to be. Think about it. If you're a beggar and you're sitting there asking for something, and you know that there are people, righteous, pious people, who are making their way up to see God, wouldn't that be a good time to do a good deed? This guy's got it figured out. He's sitting here asking for alms, and to give charity was a sign of, of being pious in those times. It was a sign of wanting to win favor with God. So if you're on your way up to the temple, and you are going to stand before God, and you see somebody asking for alms, begging for something, and you know that God likes that, you're going to walk by that guy, pull a little something out, put it in your uh, guy's pocket there, and you're going to look up at God like this, aren't you? You're going to be like, God, you see what I just did here? So this beggar is in a really strategic place. He's in a good spot, and he's in a really ironic place, because what's interesting is that beggar who sits at that gate was most likely never able to go past that gate. Even though he was a Jewish male, because of his infirmity, because of his disability, he was most likely, scholars say, considered to be ritually impure. So even though he could go up to that gate, he probably couldn't go past that gate. That was as far as he could get. He couldn't get any closer to God. And this fascinates me, that his place of begging was also the barrier that kept him from experiencing God's presence. He was stuck there. And it says that every day he was put there. Probably some friends or family members who, who cared about him, who knew that because of his legs, the only way that he could make a living would be to beg, would every day take him there, and they'd place him there so that he could ask and beg for what could be given to him. Every day. He was there a long 
time. We don't know exactly how long, but we know he's old enough to be called a man. We know that he's been like this since birth, that they would take him there every day. He was there a long time, wasn't he? Which means this, that if he's been in that spot for a long time, that most likely there was some point when he sat there and Jesus himself walked right past him. Because we can almost certainly say that at some point, Jesus would have entered into the temple through that same gate, that at some point he would have walked right past this man who was begging. And isn't it a fascinating thing that Jesus, who had power to heal, right? Right? You're here, right? <laughs> right, okay, good, good. That Jesus, who had power to heal, had walked right past this man, and he wasn't healed. It makes me scratch my head a little bit, and you have to ask, why had this man never been healed? If he had been that close to Jesus, why had he never been healed? Was it because Jesus just really didn't like him that much? Was it because the dude didn't have much faith? Was it because God had a different plan? I don't know, when I, when I think about it, I, I, I don't know the answer for sure, but I can't help but think that maybe he hadn't been ready for what God wanted to do in his life. Maybe he hadn't been ready to take that step of faith. And maybe God said, you know, I got something special planned. I have a plan for him. Which leads me to encourage you with this. Trust God's plan while you wait. Trust God's plan while you wait. See, some of you are waiting. In fact, whether you realize it or not, some of you may even feel like you're, you're, you're begging. You're saying, God, I know what I don't have and I know what I want. Why don't you just... Give it to me. And sometimes we wonder why God doesn't just do something. Why doesn't this just work out? Why do I keep finding myself in this place? And realize two things. One, you're not alone. And two, God has a plan. So trust God's plan even while you wait. See, he could not see what was coming ahead. He didn't know what was down the road for him. I was, I was with a family lately, and, and they were getting ready to go to this, this big family dinner that they were going to have. Lots and lots of food, lots and lots of good desserts, lots and lots of good desserts. Can I get an amen for lots and lots of good desserts, right? Okay, so they were going to go to this, and, and they were just about to leave, and they have a preschooler. And the little guy walks up to his dad and looks at his dad and starts going, I want a snack, I want a snack, I want a snack, I want a snack. You know how preschoolers do? Where they're persistent? You can hear it in your head. I want a snack. And dad just shut him down cold. So you know what the little guy did? Spun like this to his mom. I want a snack. I want a snack. I want a snack. And he wouldn't stop. And the thing was, they were saying, look, buddy, we're just about to go to lunch. And at lunch, there's going to be all this food. If you eat a snack now, it's going to ruin your appetite. You're going to miss out. There's all these desserts. Don't miss out on this, buddy. Just, just wait a little while. And like every preschooler, he just said, okay, mom and dad, I'll be patient. <laughs> I want a snack. I want a snack. I spend half my life like that, one, wanting a snack, but two, not being patient because I think I know what I want, and I don't realize that there might be something better. There might be something else that God has in store, even something that I can't begin to understand or comprehend on the other side of this thing. And Jesus says, Chad, just, just hold on a minute. I've got something else. Verse 3. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Do you know why he asked them for money? That's what he did. That's who he was. He was a beggar. That's what he thought he needed. And so when he saw them, he said to himself, 
Here's a couple of guys. They're going up to the temple. They're here to pray. They're going to want to be righteous. They look like a target for me. And he says, do you have any money for me? He asks them for that because he thought he knew what he needed. That's significant. He thought he knew what he needed. How often do I think I know what I need? How often do we say to ourselves, I know what I need. I need a break. I need more money. I need someone to love me. We think we know what we need. We're not always right. Verse 4. Man, I love verse 4. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. And then Peter said, look at us. There's something significant when somebody looks straight at you, when they make eye contact, when they lock eyes with you. Sometimes it's just creepy, right, when people stare? Sometimes it's just a little weird. But, but if somebody looks at you with confidence, if they make eye contact with you, that's a, that's a powerful thing. Our dog, whenever our dog does something bad, he won't make eye contact. If it's, if it's like dinner time, man, he stares you down. He looks straight into your soul. But if he's done something bad, like he loves socks. Our dog just loves socks. He loves, he loves bread. We had our connect group at our house one time, and one of our friends was like putting a, a burger on the plate and put the bread on there, and that dog came over, grabbed that bread, and was gone in the name of the Lord like that. Like that. You know what he loves? He loves napkins, and if he can get a used Kleenex, he's blessed. I am snot kidding you. He does that. Our dog does that. And when he does, he grabs this thing, puts it in his mouth, right? And he like heads off in the other room. Well, if you, if you track him down, we go, Samson, if you don't know this, we named our dog after the biblical character who destroys things. We say, Samson, what do you got? And here's what he do. He won't look at you. He'll like do one of these things, you know, kind of glance out of the corner of his eyes, got the thing in his mouth. He's like, if I don't look at them, they'll go away. That's what he thinks, right? He won't make eye contact. My guilty dog won't make eye contact. A naughty preschooler doesn't make eye contact. A guilty adult will not make eye contact. But somebody with confidence, somebody who knows they have something to say, somebody who's sure about what's in front of them, they'll make eye contact. Don't miss this. This this is powerful. When it says that Peter and John looked right at him with confidence. This, This was a special moment. And then he says to them, this this is huge. He says, look at us. I've I've felt this for for several weeks in my spirit, that that this passage of scripture was really important, that it was significant for some people, that today there was something special. I've got a confidence about this, that there's something special about this passage today for people who are looking for some kind of healing or deliverance or provision or restoration or life change, and they say to him, they look him dead in the eye, and they say, look at us. Now think about this. This is a busy walkway. There are lots of people at a significant time, right? It's a time of prayer. People don't want to be late. They want to be heading up there, and there's all these people that are making their way up to the temple. They get to this gate, which automatically is going to kind of bottleneck things, right? Anytime you got to go through an entryway, there's some people going in. Some people can't go in, so they've got to stop at this point. You've got beggars along the way. It wasn't just this guy. There were many people, and they would see people, and they would just kind of holler out, hey, you got something for me? Hey, you got something for me? And they're moving in line. Don't you just love it when you're moving in a crowd of people and somebody decides to stop? Don't you love that? Have you been to Costco? I get so bitter. when. Anyways, so you're like in a line, and all of a sudden, they stop. 
And they, and they look this dude straight in the eye. And with boldness, they say to him, look at us. Man, that's a bold statement. That's a, that's a big moment because they're, they're calling him to a moment of, of confrontation, a moment of faith. Look at me. Who says that? Parents say that to their kids. Sometimes coaches say it to their players in, in, the, in the heat of competition. Sometimes pastors say it when they want to wake people up. Look at me. <laughs> because there's something that you need to hear. This was a call to faith. And look, sometimes the beggar must be called to be blessed. Sometimes the beggar finds themselves in a place where they think they know what they need and they're looking for that thing. And until somebody comes with some confidence and looks them in the eye and says to them, look at me, look at this, they're gonna miss out on this. Have you ever sat at a traffic light and there's somebody right in front of you and you're waiting for it to turn and it turns green and they don't move? Have you ever been there? What do you do? You pray for that person, don't you? You don't pray for them. You honk at them in the name of the Lord. That's exactly what you do. Why? Because you know that that, that, that left turn green light is only going to be there for a nanosecond. And if they don't move, you're not going to be able to go through on yellow. Can I get an amen? Right? So what do you do? You say, look, you've got to move. Don't miss this. I feel that way about this story today. Maybe not for everybody. I mean, it might not be everybody in this room or auditorium too, or you're watching on a screen, wherever, but I know this is true for somebody, that there's somebody that, that God is, is speaking to your heart, that the timing is right, that you need to hear a word of faith, and God is saying to you, look at me. Don't miss what I'm trying to say to you. This is huge. So look at verse five. So the man gave them his attention expecting to get something from them. That's what he did. He was a beggar. He wanted to get something from them. He was looking for money. And of course, that's what he thought would happen. If people stop, you've asked them for money. That was kind of the routine. But it's not what he gets. And know this, what you want is not always what you need. It's what he thought he wanted, but it wasn't what he needed. What you want is not always what you need. Have you found that to be true? I mean, it's true in life, but it's true spiritually too. There's been a lot of times in my life when I thought, well, God, why can't I just, or God, why didn't you? Or God, why, why won't you? God, why won't you just give me what I want? And God has to remind me that what you want is not always what you need. You say you need rescued, and God says, but I'm working something out in your life. You say, God, I wish you'd just, wish you'd just heal me. And God says, yeah, but can't you see I'm doing something deeper through this process? Sometimes what we want is not always what we need. And my encouragement to you is this. If God does not give you what you want, believe that he is giving what you need. Because I know people that when they don't get what they want from God, they check out on God. God, this doesn't look like what I want it to look like, so it certainly can't be you, or you really must not care. And that's when God says, whoa, 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 wait a minute. What you want might not be what you need. So be patient and wait and trust me, because you might not see what's coming next. Verse 6, then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. 
Think about what he just did there. That's a bold statement. Think of what he said. You know what you want? You ain't going to get, but I've got something to tell you to do what you've never been able to do. Let's unpack that for a minute and look at what he says here. He starts out by saying, silver or gold, I do not have. What an interesting place. What you want, I just, I can't give it to you. I don't have what it is you're looking for. And what's interesting is, is don't miss the point here because Peter's helping him to see that sometimes what you think you have to have is really not what it needs. I hear this all the time from people when they say, well, I think God would want for me to do this with my life, but I just can't do it because I don't have the money or I don't have the ability or I don't have the strength or I don't. And we talk ourselves out of doing what God has called us to do. I, I hear this sometimes actually really based on money. The people say, well, I, I don't have enough money to make a difference for God. And the truth is this, influence is not based on income. Your income does not determine the way that God wants to use you. He wants to be at work in your life, irregardless of whether you think you have enough money for it or not. And your resource does not determine your role. I know people who go, well, I'd, I'd love for God to use me but I'm not important enough. I'm not valuable enough. I'm not gifted enough. I'm not talented enough. How would God ever use me? And this verse is a reminder when Peter says, look, silver and gold I don't have. He's saying, look, those things are not exactly what God always uses. Your resource does not determine your role. The truth is God is more interested in availability than great ability. And we say, God, I must have great ability if you're going to use me. And he says, I'd actually just like to know if you're willing to be used. God's more interested in your availability than your great ability. When I was in college, a good friend of mine um, was, was asked to step into a, a role as a youth pastor at a local church, and we were both actually attending the church at the time, and, and he said, hey, man, I'm, I'm stepping into this youth pastor role. I can sure use some help. Would you be willing to come out? I need somebody to play guitar on Wednesday nights, and I need somebody to teach junior high Sunday school on Sunday mornings. By the way, you need a special dispensation from God if you teach junior high Sunday school. And I, and I, you know, I was hungry to do something for the Lord, and this is my buddy. And so I was like, yeah, man, I'll, I'll help you out. And I can remember going on Wednesday nights to, to the youth group, and I'd play the guitar when they'd do worship, and then I'd sit down and I'd listen to my friend preach, who to this day is one of the most gifted communicators I've ever known. Man, he's just, he just, he knows how to connect with a group of people and preach God's word and get right to your heart. He's just a, a powerful communicator. And I would sit there, and I would listen to him preach, and every week I'd get in my car and I'd think to myself, if, if being a pastor means you have to do that, I can't do that. So I don't know if I'll be able to be a pastor because I'm not as gifted as him, I'm not as talented as him. And if I don't have those skills, then I'm not so sure that God could use me. And God had to, over the years, remind me that he's not looking for great ability. He's looking for availability. And then he doesn't see the things that we think limit us. He sees the things that he can do through us. And if we'll be open to that, even if we stand and go, God, silver and gold I don't have, he says, I know, then use what I've given you and be used of me and trust me with that. And so Peter and John look at this nameless beggar and they say to him, silver and gold we do not have. Can you imagine how excited the beggar must have been in that moment? Right? It's like, what? What? then why are you stopping traffic? And why are you boys standing here talking to me? If you don't have what I'm looking for, he had to have sent some great disappointment in that moment. If you don't have the cash, then why do I care? 
And we get disappointed, right? We've already talked about this. When things don't go the way that we think they should. And in that split second, you know what he could have done? He could have tuned them out, said, you jokers get out of here, and turned and looked at the next victims that he had coming his way. But for some reason, he, he let them finish talking. And sometimes we get disappointed with God and we check out way too soon and we rob ourselves of the blessing that God wants to bring to our lives. Do not let disappointment keep you from divine appointment. Do not let the disappointment that you, you feel in your life at times keep you from the divine appointment that God would have to bring before you shut the door on what God wants to say. Before you shut the door on what God wants to speak through his word today, be open to what he wants to do. Because they say, silver and gold we do not have, but what we have, we give to you. We have something that God has done in our lives, and we can share it with you. And this is a really good question. Like, like what do you have that someone needs? See, if God's done something in your life, then he may bring you to a divine appointment moment where either through your encouragement or a word of faith or sharing about your salvation or letting them know that God can be their healer, you can make a difference in someone's life. And this is what happens. They say, look, silver and gold we do not have, but what we have we give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. That, that phrase right there about those eight words is powerful. In fact, it's too much for us to really dive into today. Next week, as we get into the rest of chapter 3, you're going to see Peter talk about that phrase some more. And so next week, we're going to talk about what it means in the name of Jesus Christ. But understand this. He's saying, look, we're, we're representatives. Followers of Jesus are his representatives to the world. We do this in his name. So with the same power and with the same hope and with the same presence that Jesus had, we bring that to other people. We're his representatives to the world. And so he says, silver and gold we do not have, but what we have we give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And then what does he say to him to do? He tells him to walk. What's the one thing this guy has never been able to do? Walk. Are you kidding me? This just became a cruel joke. You've not only stopped traffic, you, you've not only said you're not going to give me the thing that I need, now you're going to tell me to do what I've never been able to do? And on the surface, it almost seems mean, except they had a confidence. When they looked right into this guy's soul, he said, look at us.
asking you, today's the day for you to take a step of faith and you say, but Chad, it seems impossible. Philippians 4.13, Paul says, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. And who gives us strength? Jesus Christ. Verse seven, taking him by the right hand, Peter helped the beggar up and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. Little details there, but think about it. It says that, that Peter reached down to this beggar that was on the ground, and he says he takes him by the right hand. Now, maybe Peter was just right-handed, and then the dude just needed a little help. So he reached out and took him by the right hand, or maybe it goes deeper than that. Because when you offer somebody your right hand, it's true in, in our day, but it was even more true in, in biblical times. That right hand was a statement of agreement. You were saying to that person, you know how we shake hands about something? You're saying to that person, look, I agree with you on this. Peter was doing more than just giving this guy a, a, a little leverage to stand up. He was saying to him, look, I believe with you in this moment that what is impossible, God can make possible. You can take this step of faith. It was powerful that he would reach out, make a point of contact, and offer him some agreement. Have you ever had someone whose encouragement made all the difference in your life? Do you know what I'm talking about? And this is exactly what Peter does here. It says he reaches out with his right hand and he helps him up. There are times when all of us need a little help. Sometimes we need someone. And that's okay. God works in that way. And in fact, for some of you, God may be challenging you, even before this service is over, to offer the right hand to someone and say, look, I'll, I'll make a point of contact with you. I'll, I'll take this step of faith with you. I will help you in this. And it's so cool what happens here because he says that when Peter reaches down and they make that point of contact and their faith comes together, God strengthens him. It says it instantly that his feet and his ankles, that his legs were made strong. Had those things ever worked before? When was the last time his ankles and feet were made strong? Never. And God does something unique and incredible and impossible. Verse 8. The beggar jumped to his feet and began to walk. And then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. Don't you wish you could look that up on YouTube? Wouldn't that be cool to see? This guy that had never walked before is now walking, and that's not enough. He's jumping. He didn't even know how to jump. But he starts jumping, and he starts praising God. This is significant, that he jumped to his feet and began to walk. That language there, someone called him out in faith, right? Looked at him with confidence and said, look at me. And then says, look, what you, what you think you want isn't everything that you need. And I don't have what you think you want, but I know exactly who has what you need. And if you'll take a step of faith, and I'll offer you a hand. I'll give you this word of faith. That if you'll take the step of faith, God can do the impossible in your life. And it says that this dude jumped to his feet. You, you don't just jump automatically, do you? You have to make a choice. And for some of you, today's a day to make a choice to stop being stuck where you are and take a step of faith. There comes a time to put feet to your faith. And I think that's really significant. I think that's why I've, I've felt a little, little something about today, that God would put in the, in the heart of this scripture and in the heart of this church to call some of you out today and say, look, today's a day that you can take a step of faith, but you can't just sit there. You're going to need to jump up. You're going to need to take some steps. There comes a time to put feet to your faith. 
this isn't just a sermon about physical healing. We'll, we'll pray about that in just a moment. But it's more than that. It's saying, where I'm weak, God, I need you to make me strong. God, where I need supernatural power, I ask you to bring that. It's time for you to put feet to your faith. When was the last time that his ankle and feet were made strong? It was <laughs> never. And now it says that he jumps up, he's walking, he's leaping, praising God, and he follows Peter and John into the temple courts. When was the last time he was in the temple courts? Never. He'd never been there. He couldn't. His infirmity would have made him impure, scholars say. He couldn't go past that gate. He was stuck there. And now because God has done the supernatural, God has done the impossible in his life, he's going places where he's never gone before. Look, steps of faith lead to new places. And if you'll take that step of faith, it'll lead you closer to God than you've ever been and closer to his promise and closer to his hope for you if you'll be willing to take that step of faith. That step of faith will lead you to new places. I love it that this guy didn't just stand up, go, man, look at that, and then sit back down and go, cool, thanks, bro. No, he, he hopped up. He went with them. He's jumping. He's leaping because he realized that what God did in his life was not just for a moment. That God wanted to do something more. That God wanted to work out something greater. That God was accomplishing something in his life. Realize this. Your miracle is for more than a moment. What God does in your life here today, if God's speaking to your heart, if you take a step of faith, what God does in your life is for more than just this moment so you can get in your car and go, that was such a nice sermon. He wants to do more than that. He wants to help you to take the step of faith not just today, but I know what it's like for some of us. Then it's a step of faith tomorrow. And then it's the next day. And to keep walking in that. And the way you keep walking in that is if you continue to exercise what God's done in you physically and spiritually, you move forward and you take that step of faith and you praise him along the way. Because as you take that step of faith, he's going to lead you into new places. But it's not just for this moment. It's so that his life can be at work through you. For some of you, in whatever area it might be, Today, God is calling you to take a step of faith. I'm going to invite our worship team to come at this time. And I just want you to think about what it was like for that guy. That he walked into a place, well, actually he didn't, he was carried into a place where he just thought it was routine. And God sent someone his way to say, look at this. There's something more. You don't have to be in that place. You don't have to stay in that place. There is healing. There is provision. There is restoration. There is hope. And if you will look at me, and if you'll trust me, and if you'll take that step of faith, I can do impossible things in your life if you'll put your hope in me. And so here's what I want to ask you to do. I'm going to just all through the room, if you'd stand with me, please, whether you're here in Auditorium 1 or if you're in Auditorium 2, if you just stand and again, I, I know this isn't for everybody, but I'm confident that it's for somebody. And if you would say to me, Chad, today, God is speaking to my heart, and today I need to take a step of faith. Would you just raise your hand? That's you. Yeah, God's speaking to your hand, or your, your heart. Yeah, thanks, thanks. Look, here's, here's what we're going to do. I oftentimes think that, that for a spiritual reality to take place, it, it requires a physical response. And so here's what I'm going to do. In just a moment, the worship team's going to be, begin to sing that song that says, what a beautiful name the name of Jesus is. 
And if you know that God's speaking to your heart about taking a step of faith, whatever area that is, and I know it's, it's a lot of people, it's a small space, but we've got time. I'm going to ask you just to take that step of faith and to step out of your seat and come here to the front. And we're going to pray together about a few things in just a moment. Now, here's the deal. For some of you, this may be a bit of a stretch for you. Standing and walking in front of a whole group of people or kind of doing that, I'll just stay where I'm at. But I do think there's something important about when you take that step of faith, whether it's a step of faith to begin to believe in Jesus today, or whether it's a step of faith to ask him to bring healing to your life, or whether it's a step of faith to say, God, I don't know what's ahead, but I'm going to put my trust in you. Then as they sing, I'm going to ask you to step out of your seat and just come and find a place. We're going to fill this whole area down here and we're going to stand. And for some of you, you may sense in your heart that, that it's a right time for you to offer a right hand of agreement to somebody else. And say, hey, look, I'll, I'll go with you. I'll help you. I'll, I'll take this step of faith with you. And if you feel God's turn in your heart, just turn to the person next to you and ask him that. Do that. But in this moment, as we begin to sing this song, Alicia, would you lead us in this? If you know that you need to take that step of faith today, right now, would you do that? Would you just begin to come out of your seat, find a place to stand right here. You say, God, I need to take that step of faith. God, I need to trust you. God, I need to look at you. I put my hope in you. I put my trust in you. Ask you to move down here towards the center so we can fill this in. We're going to make room for folks as they come. Don't talk yourself out of it. Take this moment. Let's sing this. Fill this with Sing that. What a beautiful name. available to you. Lord, I trust in you. I put my hope in you. Lord, we praise you for who you are. Lord, I take a step of faith today. Thank you, Jesus.
this was a story about physical healing. Is anybody here, either, either down at the front or even anywhere in the room, that you say, I need a, a physical touch from the Lord, I need physical healing in my body. Would you just raise your hand for a moment? That's where you're taking a step of faith. God, I need you to bring physical healing. Just keep your hand raised for just a moment. If you're near somebody that has their hand raised, wherever they are, just put a hand on their shoulder. Just a point of contact. You don't have to ask any questions. You don't know what's going on. We're just going to pray. Father, we come to you. Lord, your word says that you not only forgive all our sins, but you heal all our diseases. Lord, we're reminded from this story that in the name of Jesus, there is power to bring healing. And so, Father, would you bring healing right now? Would you bring restoration, God? Would you bring strength? Would you bring deliverance from pain? Would you bring renewal to what seems to be lost, God? And would you give healing in the name of Jesus today, we pray in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, here's, here's another question. How many of you, you're taking a step of faith? And, and what's wrapped up in this is a situation that seems to be hopeless. You can raise your hand. You just say, look, this whole thing seems hopeless. And God, I don't know the answer, but you have the answer. And whether this goes the way that I think it does or not, I put my hope in you. Anybody else? It seems hopeless. Raise your hand. If you've got somebody around you with a hand raised, put a hand on their shoulder. We're making a point of contact, right? Point of agreement. Father, we come to you. And we know that you are the God who brings hope. That even in the midst of hopelessness, you are at work. And Father, you know not just what we think we want, but God, you know what we need. And God, you know what is hopeless. In fact, your word says that you're able to bring hope to those things that even seem like they're dead. So Father, we pray for restoration in marriages, and we pray for healing in bodies, and we pray for prosperity in finances. And God, we pray for strength in the midst of weakness. And God, we ask that you would help us, Lord, as we take these places where we need to take a step of faith and we trust in you. God, even if we have to be patient while we watch this play out, we trust in you and we put our hope in you today. Lord, I pray for those with the hand raised that, Father, you would fill them with hope, not just today, but tomorrow and next week, that their strength would be in you as they trust in you today. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Okay, one, one last question before, before we leave. And I know... If you're, if you're, especially if you're down here at the front, there's all kinds of reasons why you could be here. But, but let me ask you this. If the step of faith you're taking today, and you know it in your mind and your heart already, that this step of faith that you're taking today means you're going to have to take another step of faith tomorrow, right? It's not just, man, I'm so glad I went to the front. Check, it's done. There's more to this, right? So it's going to be another step of faith and another step of faith. And it's going to be trusting God, especially in the moment when the enemy starts to tell you that wasn't real. It doesn't matter. You don't have great ability, whatever it might be. If you know that this step of faith is going to mean another step of faith, if that's you, just raise your hand. Right? That's probably all of us. So, Lord, we come to you. Lord, we pray this for our church. God, that you would give us the, the faith to trust you every step along the way. God, we pray this for our families. Lord, that we would put our hope and our confidence in you. Lord, we, we pray this in, in the different parts of our lives, that as we step into work, it'd be a step of faith, that as we step into our community, it'd be a step of faith, that we step into our calling from you, it's a step of faith. But Lord, you know specifically, with every hand that's raised, well, what it is that you're, you've put in our hearts to do, the step that you've called us to take, so, Lord, may today be the first of many steps. May we be reminded that no matter what it seems like we do not have, that in the name of Jesus, we have you. And that you take those steps with us. And that, God, you can give us supernatural strength. And that you can send people alongside of us 
to stand with the right hand of agreement. God, that as we go into the, the places where we've never been before, and as we see things that you open up for us, may we go into those places putting feet to our faith and praising you all the way. Now, Lord, as we go from here, we ask that you'd go with us. Father, would you send us out with your special favor and with your wonderful peace? God, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.